Before we get into God's Word today, let's pray and um, give this time to God. All right? God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have, God, to stand in your presence, to sit in your presence, to be in your presence, God, all because of who you are. You are gracious beyond measure. Father, you love us in great, great ways. And as we gather as your people here at Hillcrest, Father, we pray that you would uh, eliminate those distractions, Father, help us to be in tune with, with what you want to say today. God, if there's something uh, that needs to change in our lives, would you make that very clear? If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as not only Savior, but as Lord, I pray that today is the day. God, you know we prayed for each individual here this morning, and I pray once again that um, you would just bless us with your presence. I know you're already here, but, but help us to recognize um, what we have in our hands, what we have on our, our smart devices, what we have in the Holy Scriptures, God, is not my words. They're not words from sages of the past. These are your very words. And I ask, God, that we would hear you and not only hear you, but we would respond. By the power of Christ, I pray. Amen. So the last few weeks, uh, those of you at Hillcrest, um, we've taken a better uh, stab, if you will, a, a, a look um, through a journey of discipleship. In, in other words, we've attempted to understand the difference between just appreciating Jesus and quote-unquote getting saved. You know what I'm talking about, right? And we've thought about what, what it means to follow me. I mean, those two words, follow me, as Jesus speaks them, seem very simple. They seem very elementary. And if you've tried to be um, following Jesus, you know it's not as simple as it sounds. Amen? Amen? So what does it mean to follow Jesus? My hope is that you've been... Um, able to chew on, or you've been able to better understand the necessity not only to be born again, to, to get saved, but to, as we've talked about, to grow up into Christ Jesus. You remember the primary text for us these last few weeks has been Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I would ask that you uh, take a look at those verses for just a moment, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll turn to Ephesians here in just a moment. But from the NRSV, Romans 12, 1 through 2, reads this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I'm begging you, church, right? He's writing to the church, as we talked about. We're not talking about Paul writing to unbelievers. He's writing to people who have gathered for the purpose of being followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? In other words, although we sing some good songs, although we may pray some eloquent prayers, although we may come to church and hear a sermon from time to time, the best way to worship as far as Paul is concerned is what? The way you live your life, right? To be a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship, he goes on to say. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed, how so? By the renewing of your mind, right? Things need to happen here. 
so that you may be so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable, what is perfect, what is pleasing to God. We've also explored several other texts, as we've mentioned these last few weeks through Paul's writings, and today I want to look at a text, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Some of our ladies are going through uh, Bible study um, in Ephesians, and uh, if you're not aware of that study, there's a study on Thursdays at 3 o'clock. Um, out in the Melissa area, and so I would uh, encourage you to, to check that out. Um, they've been going through Ephesians, and we were talking a little bit about that, and, and hopefully this will add to um, what you guys will learn here in the next few, next few weeks. Today I want to look at this text in Ephesians chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 in regards to discipleship. In other words, We've looked primarily at ourselves and our maturity in Christ as we've grown up into Christ. But today I want to look at a text that speaks to the importance of growing up into community. Now what do I mean by growing up into community? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the the writer tells us, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. What's the purpose of gathering around this table and taking communion? It's not just celebrating our relationship with God, right, through Jesus Christ. It's also reminding one another um, of our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm aware of uh, old traditions like the Quakers and and, and some of the old uh, congregational uh, meetings as they would gather. Did you realize that this section would be, the, the chairs would turn and face this section. In this section, their, their, their chairs would be turned and face this section. And sometimes you had the man on one side and the women on the other side. But the point is, the reason that you look each other face to face is it's not just a relationship between you and God. It's also a relationship with everybody who's associated themselves with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, I've heard it, I've heard it, term before, maybe you've heard this as well, that circles are better than rows. Why are circles better than rows? Because you have to look somebody in the face and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul just says, the way I live my life, the way I follow Jesus Christ, is evident by how I interact, not just on a Sunday, not just around this table, not just as I sing my favorite songs or I hear prayers given. But every day of my life, even when I don't want to, even when I don't feel like it, even when circumstances lead me in or attempt to lead me in other directions. Does that make sense? Right? Why is it that the church, the modern church, Big C, has gotten out of that habit? Right? Uh, We hear things like, you can't judge me. We, we hear things like, well, walk a mile in my shoes. Well, guess what? Jesus has walked a mile in your shoes, and yet he was without sin, right? So don't give that to me as an excuse, right? Paul's going to tell us that it's not just a relationship between us and God. It's also a relationship between us and each other. Now, you know just as well as I do, as we've talked about this the last few weeks, that we're talking to church members. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, don't expect unbelievers to act the way you're called to act, right? All this is foolishness to them. But we're talking to church members. We're talking to believers. 
We're talking to people who've associated themselves with Jesus Christ. Let me give you another example. In the independent Christian church, we make much of baptism because Jesus makes much of baptism, right? And so sometimes we think of, as people get in the baptistry and they're baptized, that it's just their baptism. And it is their baptism. But it's also a reminder that you need to disciple them, help them grow up into Christ. You follow what I'm saying? It's also your baptism in that you reflect on your own baptism. In other words, who are you looking up to in your faith? On this journey called discipleship, there, there's got to be one or, or two or people that, that Jesus, that God has placed in your life so that you can see as mentors, as fathers, as older brothers, as, as women, as older sisters in the faith. Does that make sense? Right? There also needs to be, as you grow up into Christ, as you mature into Christ, there also needs to be people behind you on that journey that you're looking for, that you're, I appeal to you brothers and sisters, Paul says, right? Those are the people for Paul. The people in Ephesus, the people in Corinth, Galatia, right? All these people that Paul is writing to, that he's begging them to consider what he has to say and not just what he has to say, but more importantly, what God has to say, if you understand what I mean, right? There's people behind you in your life that need you to speak into their life on behalf of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, in, the, in America, though, in the Western world, not just America, in the Western world, we think our baptism is our baptism. Our salvation is our salvation. Our discipleship is our discipleship. And we dismiss this idea of community. We dismiss this idea of relationship. You understand what I'm saying, right? If I, if I used words like Hatfields and McCoys, do you know what I mean? Right? You, this younger generation doesn't know what I mean, right? She's shaking her head like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, there's these two factions in... I'm not embarrassing you, am I? No. Okay, all right. So, so Hatfields and McCoys, right? You got Hatfields, you got one family on one side of the community. You got the McCoys on the other side of the community, right? And there's this constant fighting, bickering, um, killing. Look up Hatfields and McCoys. Google it, okay? That, there's a word for you, right? And you have permission to Google it now, right? But the point is, is even in the church, now tell me what's wrong with this. Even in the church, we have Hatfields and we have McCoys, right? We have people that come and gather around this table, right? And I'm not telling you anything. Hillcrest is no different than any other church throughout the world in this regard, right? We have people that gather around and we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. We associate ourselves with Jesus Christ, thinking our baptism is our baptism, our salvation is our salvation, and by golly, I don't know that person across the aisle from me. And if I do know them, I probably don't like them. What's wrong with that picture? Everything, right? Everything. Jesus was saying in the Gospels, He says, if you are at the altar and you're making a sacrifice, or if you are praising God, or if you are worshiping God, and you remember you have something against your brother, or your brother has something against you, if you're a Hatfield or McCoy, Go make things right before, before you can come and honestly, with any kind of integrity at all, be willing to worship. Does that make sense? Right? Paul would say to the Corinthian church, he would say, 
make sure you don't do these things in an unworthy manner. Does that mean we're perfect? Of course we're not perfect. But have we understood who we are? Do we understand that we're sinners? Do we understand this is not about us, but it's all about God? Does that make sense? You guys follow what I'm saying, right? And so today, as we close this series out called Grow, I want you to consider our responsibility, not only as individuals, but my responsibility to you, your responsibility to me. My brother and I, Kyle and I, have a relationship where if I text Kyle and I say, how are you doing? He knows I'm not talking about the weather. When, when, I'm, when I say, how are you doing? We've already had a conversation where he knows that I know. Or he does the same with me, right? That's, that's the kind of relationship we're talking about. And I know some of you are like, what? I've never done that before. You need to do that. You, you need to have somebody in your life, whether it's up the journey or behind you in the journey, not that there's a pecking order, but we're all at different places on this journey, right? This is accountability. This is growth. This is growing up into Christ. You, you need to have one or two individuals that you can be honest with, and they can be honest with you. In other, in other words, relationship is a two-way street, right? It's not just me throwing up on you, right? Or you throwing up on me. Relationship is a two-way street, right? You have to be completely invested in what God wants to do in your life. Do you follow? Right? Now some of you guys are going, heck no, I'm not interested in telling anybody my stuff. Can I just offer to you, uh, I mean, the ladies are much better at this because we're wired differently, but for those of us guys who get really uncomfortable about that, uh, I get it, man. I'm wired the same way you are, where we just kind of keep our, you know, we live in the shadows, we kind of keep our stuff, our stuff, we have secrets and things like that. But I'm here to tell you, you're not going to completely understand God. You're not going to completely understand the love of God. You're not going to understand everything like grace and faith and love until you're totally transparent. You know what sin does to us? You know what happened with Adam and Eve when they sinned, right? You will surely die. Now people say, well, they didn't die. Yes, they did. They were divided from God, right? When they, when they recognized they were naked, what happens? We recognized we were naked, and so we went and hid. Right? Transparency is lost. And you know what Satan does when you're transparent with somebody else? I'm not talking, I'm not talking about getting up in front of the community and saying, here's who I am. I'm talking about one or two people that God places in your path that you can be honest with, with any kind of integrity, and say, here's who I am. I'm asking you to love me anyway. You know what Satan does with that? He has, no, he has no teeth in it anymore, right? He has that, his power is gone. I need grace. Amen? He knows that. He needs grace. Amen? I know that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This idea of community is so foreign to us because we live such compartmentalized life. We live such lives as individuals that we miss this importance of not just celebrating what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, but it's our responsibility one to another. Jesus has asked the greatest commandment in the Gospels. You remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
Love your brother. Love your sister. Love your neighbor. Yeah, but I don't really like them. Yeah, love them anyway. The good Samaritan? Think about that for a second. Who was a good Samaritan for the Jew? Nobody. So why is he good? Because he understands it's not about him. It's about God. Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay? So I want to take a look at this text here in Ephesians chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And then we'll come back to this idea of community. Of what it means to have genuine relationship with one another. And listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 25 of Ephesians. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Remember, he's talking to the church, right? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Remember, we're all members of the same body, he goes on to say. In your anger, do not sin. Notice he doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. That's a pretty big statement there, isn't it? Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Why? Because it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me, right? Anyone who has, uh, who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Why is, I'll come back to that here in a second. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Man, Hatfields and McCoys, that was all about bitterness, right? But Paul tells the church here in Ephesus, and it would preach to the Hatfields and McCoys, and it would preach here at Hillcrest, or at First Baptist, or at the First United Methodist, or wherever you go where people are, that we need to be about God's business and not our own. Right? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind. Sometimes the most bitter people we encounter are people in the church. Sometimes the most unkind people we recognize are people in the church. Does that say something about us? Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God. Does that sound familiar? As a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God. What does that sound like? To me it sounds a whole lot like Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Be no longer conformed to the world, but be transformed. How so? By the renewing of your mind. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says here, a fragrant offering. Spiritual worship. This is how you live your, live your life. I've, I've mentioned to several of you uh, here in the past, uh, the church that I grew up in, I'm grateful for the roots that were planted at the church that I grew up in. Uh, this is late 70s, early 80s, and there got to be a point about mid-80s to 
you probably can narrow it down better than I can, but mid-80s to about mid-90s, maybe 2000, where the organized church, if you know what I mean, right, the big church was talked bad about. It, it became almost like a, a fad to talk about bad about the, the church on the corner of First and A. Um, and so instead of people staying and, and working and reminding what Scripture says and doing all those things, they would take their toys and go home, if you understand my metaphor, right? They, they would escape themselves from this community. They, they would leave, and they would start something in their own home, right? They would start these this house churches. Anybody remember the, the fad of the house churches? They've kind of gone by the wayside now. There's a few out there that are kind of scattered around. But you know what I'm talking about, right? And it was all about us versus them, right? We don't have this figured out, but by golly, there are so many people down there that I don't like. So I'm going to go start my own stuff over here where people act like me, they dress like me, they, they, they're con they come around when it's convenient, all, all these kind of things. And I'm being a little bit overdramatic, but you understand what I'm saying, right? This house church mentality. Does anybody remember that? Some of you probably have experienced that firsthand. I've mentioned to you as well that there's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches that close today. This will be their last Sunday. They'll close the door, somebody will lock the door, put a for sale sign out, and, and vacate. And there's a scattering of people. Um, Shelby, you mentioned 3% of, of a rate where you see something good happen, right? It is kind of scary. Um, but I read in the Scriptures where it says that there's nothing that Satan can do that will prevail against the church of God. You follow what I'm saying? So, so when I look at these house churches, when I look at this mentality of, and now it's not about house churches, it's just that I don't, have you ever heard this? I don't need the church to love Jesus. Anybody ever heard that before? If you haven't, you're not listening. There are people that say that all the time. I don't need organized religion I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what do you do with the writer of Hebrews that says, let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing? You know why? Because the same problem we have in modern day society is the same problem they had in the ancient Near East. People would go start a house church, they would get mad at somebody else, another house church would start. Another house church would start. Another house church would start. You get the idea? Now it's about house churches, but it's also about I'm just not going to go anymore. I can go in my prayer closet. I can have a relationship with God. And I'm not arguing that you can't have a relationship with God through Jesus on your own. I'm saying, I need you, and you need me. And because we live such compartmentalized life, or because we live such individualized lives, Satan is just grabbing the popcorn and sitting back and going, I don't have to do anything. They're killing themselves. Now, this is life and death. There, there are people, uh, I'm ministering to a person now that, that, would, that has nothing good to say about any church. Doesn't know anything about Hillcrest, but they have nothing to say that's good about any church. You know why? Because they've been burned by the church in the past. And in their minds, whether it's you know, this idea of I'm just going to lump everybody in the same boat, whatever, right? stereotypical things, they have, they have done away, they have gotten rid of the church in their mind. It's, it's, 
null and void, right? And so we'll be having a conversation, and um, when they find out I'm a preacher, I, I look at you because you told somebody I'm a preacher this last week, right? Well, he had no idea you're a preacher. I don't want them to understand I'm a preacher right away. And I'm not trying to be deceptive. Here's, here's a rabbit trail for a second, right? I'm not trying to be deceptive and not trying to keep things, you know, secret about being, being a preacher. But I can promise you, when people hear you're a preacher or you're a youth and family minister, the conversation ceases. You, you understand what I'm saying, right? Or, or supposedly I'm this quote-unquote, holy man. I can promise you, I'm no different than you are. I put my pants on the same way you do, right? I, I'm no different than you are, and yet there's something within our psyche, there's something within this person that thinks, well, I don't want anything to do with the church. Oh, oh my gosh, you're a preacher? And then it's like, they can't, they can't get the, they can't retract anything they've said previously is quicker than, you know, I think that speaks to this idea of lack of community. You understand what I'm saying, right? Well, so Paul recognizes that here in the church in Ephesus. And if you're not familiar with this city of Ephesus in the ancient Near East, it's kind of like the Las Vegas of the day, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. There, there's churches on every street corner or temples, Artemis, Aphrodite, Epaphrodite, all these people that are that are going out, worship, quote-unquote, worshiping, doing their things, but but it's almost like secular humanism is today, right? Everybody's got their own niche. There's a reason why God tells us first and foremost, right out of the gate, do not have any gods before me. Why? Because He knows who we are. Adam and Eve, did they have a God who walked in the cool of the day with them? And what became their God? A piece of fruit. You get the idea? Right? Cain and Abel, they, they go and worship God. And what becomes Cain's God? Anybody? Right? Himself. Right? His sacrifice wasn't received, so what does he do? He goes and kills his brother, thinking he's more important than the sacrifice that he was offering to God. He became his own God. Do you think that would preach today? Man, there are, there are neighbors that I live, with, live beside. There are, there are co-workers that you work beside. There are people in your own family that need to hear that the Gospel is... It's not about you, it's all about God through Jesus Christ. right? It's all about relationship, it's all about community. Yes, first and foremost, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but also love your brother, love your neighbor as yourself. Or Jesus would say it this way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, gather on a Sunday morning. That's not what he said. Go to a Bible study. Be religious. Be spiritual. You know, if I hear somebody else tell me, hey, I'm not religious, I don't go to church, but I'm really spiritual, I'm going to throw up in my mouth again. Because I'm like, you can be spiritual about a lot of things, right? I'm from New Mexico, and, and there are people that you can read about in New Mexico history where they're spiritual. You know what I mean? Right? Um, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. right? We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be spiritual all day long and be as lost as... 
You can be as religious as the best Pharisee that you can imagine and be as lost as... You, you can be a, a Bible college student and be as lost as... You can lead worship and be as lost as... You can be a preacher and be as... You understand what I'm saying, right? It's not about this thing called tradition or religion or being spiritual. It's about, do you, not, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a, tell me about Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world, right? It makes all the difference in the world. So what does it mean when we talk about this idea of community and, and growing up into community? What does it mean to grow within the community or the fellowship? Do you, you know the early part of Acts? where it says, in Acts chapter 1, think with me for just a second, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them, I want you to go up into this upper room in Jerusalem, I want you to stay there, and you're going to receive this dunamis, you're going to receive this power from on high, right? It's going to change the world, right? 120 people, 120 people um, Living in a way, waiting for God to show up, and when God shows up, what happens? They go out and they change the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, etc., etc. You get the idea, right? In Acts chapter 2, it says they, had, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the apostles' prayers. They were devoted to the things that God wanted to do, Right? It wasn't about them. And God added continually by day. Day by day. Continually, their numbers, right? It became 120, became 1,000, became 3,000, became 5,000. Check me out in the early part of Acts, right? But there's something that happens when it becomes all about, all about us and not about God. I think it's a big misnomer to believe that all Jews look the same. You guys know what I'm talking about, where all Jews wore the same things, all Jews had the same skin tone, all Jews believed the same things. I, I think we read that uh, in the text sometimes as Western-minded individuals, but that's not the case. They were all different. You know the problem with Jews and Gentiles getting along in the church? The Jews expected the Gentiles to do something. The Gentiles wanted all the grace. They couldn't come to common ground. We all recognize that, that divide right within the community, the problem is, is we don't recognize the divide within ourselves. Now chances are, there's probably 50 here today, 45, 50 people here today. There's chances are that you, there's somebody in here that's offended by what somebody else has done. You understand what I'm saying? And, and it's changed how you interact with that person. That's the community I think God wants. Some of you have, have, and I'm just saying, there's, this is a group of 50, so this just plays out, psychology professor, uh, uh, majors, this plays out within, within people that we just want to remove ourselves from any kind of confrontation, any kind of conflict. Don't we, ladies? Right? We do. Because that's, we, 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 we like that turtle, we gather back in our shell. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to be in relationship with Him first and foremost and then with each other as diverse as we are. I, I believe that God celebrates diversity. I believe that we should celebrate diversity. And so for us to think, for us to read back into the text and think all Jews thought the same, not true. Or, or, or all, all, all people that have it all together, act like me, dress like me, think like me, talk like me, 
not true, right? But somehow, some way, deep, deep, deep in the recesses of our mind, we think that we've got it all figured out. And don't lie to me and tell me that you're not that way because we're all human beings. And we're prideful, aren't we? Do your head like this because you are prideful. And I am prideful, right? And we think we have it figured out. We think everybody else, is. the world would be a much better place if everybody was like me. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's the way we believe, right? Quick things, right? I don't have a lot of time, but I want to point out a couple things to you in this text. I want us to consider that maturity means social things are necessary. In other words, you can't remain alone and be all God created you to be. It means not everyone will look like you, not everyone will dress like you, not everyone will think like you, but in the end, the community is stronger because of the differences. Read the book of Galatians. Read the book of Galatians. Although we agree that the primary issue is, what do you do with Jesus, right? Jesus is Lord, amen? Right? Jesus is Lord. He's not just your Savior, but He's your Lord, amen? Remember, we've talked about the difference. You can't just receive Jesus as Savior. You need to make Him the Lord of your life. We have to agree on that. I mean, that's the reason that we do what we do. As we gather around, so we're not, talking about, we're not talking about these secondary issues, but I'm here to tell you that we, we don't need to make too much of the secondary issues. In other words, those of you who think that we need to sing Amazing Grace and all five verses of Amazing Grace at the same speed, you might be wrong. You follow, right? Um, or the church needs to be painted a certain color. Or... The order of service has always been this way. That must be written somewhere in 1 Peter, in Jude, or whatever. No, it's not. They're secondary issues, right? I, I want to point out a couple things to you again. Number one, uh, chapter 4, verse 26, he says this. He doesn't say, don't be angry, does he? He says, in your anger, do not sin. What's he saying? Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. You know the difference between anger and wrath? Anger is, anger is being angry at the right things. I'm angry with sin. I'm, I'm angry with evil. I'm angry that, that people would fall for the trap that Satan lays before them. Do you follow what I'm saying? I can be angry about those things. I can be angry about the injustice in the world. I can be angry for orphans who have nobody to speak for themselves. I can be angry that these widows that are out in the, in, in the neighborhoods in which we live have nobody to care for them. I can be angry about those things because that's what Jesus tells me to be passionate about, to be angry about. Do you follow what I'm saying? But when it becomes too much, when we become wrathful, it's uncontrolled anger. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Um, the Bible says that Jesus faced every kind of temptations that we face, yet was without sin, right? Can we all agree that Jesus is perfect? Yes? And yet He goes in and he addresses the religious people in a place that he says should be the house of prayer, right? And what does he do? He overturns their... seems to me that his emotional status was that he was angry, right? He overthrows their tables and he says, you've made this house of prayer a... you're a bunch of thieves. You've made it a den of robbers, right? He's angry, but he's not uncontrolled. You hear the difference, right? When, when Paul says... 
Don't let the sin go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What he's saying is, make sure you understand that you can you can lose your cool and and move to wrath, right? Rage. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever you you have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, anyone who is already called raka, anyone who has said that person is fill in the blank and it's not good, right? When I consider somebody not created in the image of God, that's not their problem, that's my problem. You follow? Right? That's the difference between anger and rage. So let me ask you this morning, who is it that you need to go to? I know it's really uncomfortable. Who is it that you need to go to and say, you know what, you may not know this, and maybe you sense that I've treated you differently, but man, I need to repent. I need to restore this relationship, right? For me to be right with God, I need to be right with you. I, I need to, that takes a big person. That, that's what we're talking about when we talk about uh, maturity. It's this uncontrolled anger leading to wrath. Number two, look at what it says in verse 29. Don't let any unho- unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Listen, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listened. Have you ever known somebody who's all about this, telling you everything wrong about who you are and why you shouldn't get God's love and why you shouldn't get God's grace and why you shouldn't get God's mercy. And it may not be your neighbor. It may not be your coworker. Maybe that's who it is. I don't know. Maybe it's you who look in the mirror and go, you don't deserve God's grace. Well, guess what? God loves you and He says that He's a gracious God and He's willing to offer you grace but the problem is, is you don't receive it. You don't understand it because you listen too much to this. You follow? So some of us need to stop talking the way we do to ourselves. But the, the, the old Christian word, uh, I know I'm running a little bit long, but hang with me for just a couple more minutes, right? Um, the, the Christian word that I think of is edify. You know, you know the word edify. Building each other up, Right? Now this is, this is where, where something when Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, this is where I think is key. If you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, I'm going to treat you with grace. Why? Because I've been given grace. I'm going to love you the way God loves you. Why? Because I've been loved. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? If we understand that God has given us grace, love, mercy, compassion, all these things, we're going to not only see the world differently, we're going to see ourselves differently. And what right do I have? Um, real quick, <laughs> judgment, discernment. Judgment is about this. Judgment is always about looking down on somebody else. It's condescending. Discernment is about, always about seeking the truth. I was looking at a... Um, some of you know there's a pretty popular... Uh, trial going on right now in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I was, I was, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So I, I was thinking about this as I was listening to both sides, prosecutor, defense attorney, judge, all this kind of stuff. And, and I have law enforcement background experience, and it's not that I'm naive, it's just I need to be reminded again that all, all people aren't after the truth. You understand what I'm saying, right? Not everybody's after the truth. They're just after what makes them feel better about themselves, right? And so 
this, this idea of you can't judge me, you can't judge me, you can't judge me, you can't judge me. Now, I'm not supposed to judge you this way. I'm not supposed to be condescending. I'm not supposed to look down on you and say God doesn't love you anymore. No, if you're created in the image of God and you need grace just like I need grace, then I'm not going to judge you that way. What I am called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, now hear me on this because this is really uncomfortable for a lot of us, what I am called to do is discern truth. Right? So, if you're a sinner and I love you the way God loves you, my responsibility, if I've been asked to speak into your life, is tell you you're a sinner and you need grace and you need to repent. You get the idea? Right? So there's a big difference in motivation between judgment and discernment. Right? Number three. These are all church things, right? These are not just people that would have no idea what we're talking about. I'm talking to believers. Paul's talking about people in the church. Number three is verse 32 and 5-1. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as... That's the key thing. Paul says, just as Christ... Remember, Christ Jesus forgave you. And if you're a big enough person, if you're a mature enough person, to look in the mirror and, ex and receive accountability from God, why would you... Always want to make yourself look better than anyone else. That's part of your flesh. That's what needs to die, Paul would say. Right? We're going to treat people much differently if we understand how much we need grace. We're going to, we're going to love people as we understand that we've been loved by God. Right? Follow, for example, God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant, Offering. Be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. Be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. Be kind. I've told you, the most unkind people that I'm aware of, most of the time, it's not the people that would say, well, you're a preacher. Those people are still kind to me. It's people in the church that aren't kind. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Unforgiving, I see that more in the church than I do anywhere else in the world. I know it exists outside these walls, but I see it in... In the church, not Hillcrest, I'm talking about the church at large, right? Paul is talking to church members here, and he says, remember, remember be kind, be unforgiving. When I think about forgiveness, here's, here's the picture, and then I'm done. They spit at him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him 39 times. How do I know 39 times? Because that's what Jewish law said. 39 times they whipped him. They, they drove nails into his wrist, probably right in here. Top of his feet, his ankles. He did everything imaginable to Jesus Christ. Creation, Creator. He did everything imaginable, unimaginable, to Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Emmanuel. The Bible says he could have called down legions of angels and said, destroy them, do away with them. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? Be kind. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Because God has been kind. God has been compassionate. God has forgiven you. 
Now, if you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus or knowing about God. I'm talking about knowing God, knowing Jesus. If you don't know that Jesus, if you don't know that kind of love, I'd love to talk with you before you leave this place. If you've forgotten about that, that love, if you've forgotten about that mercy, that grace, um, we read about the church in Ephesus in Revelation again, don't we, Nikki? Where it says he lost, they lost their first love. If that's you, then, then there's time to make it right. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, hey, if you hear his voice today, don't wait till tomorrow. Do, do something about it today. Right? If today is the day of salvation, if today is the day of repentance, there's, there's plenty of room here. We'll, we'll, we'll go in the back room. Uh, grab me before you leave. Um, but, but let's make sure that, that you're right with God. Let's make sure you're right with one another. Let's make sure you're right with yourself, right? We are all sinners. We're all in this together. We're, we are all sinners. But praise God, we have an opportunity to get back to God through Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That's the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, for your, your word, God, for your, your challenge this morning, for the great love you have for us, uh, for, for mercy, uh, for grace, for compassion. Um, help us, God, to um, see ourselves the way you see us. Uh, help us to uh, recognize what, what Mark mentioned earlier, this shedding of blood that allows us to get back into relationship with our Creator, one who loves us so much. Help us to understand, God, the sacrifice that's made on our behalf, that, that Jesus Christ, as Paul says, becomes sin for us. And help us, God, to understand the responsibility we have not only to that relationship, but the relationship that we have in community to grow up into maturity and to love each other as you've loved us, to be kind to one another as you've been kind to us to be compassionate to the world around us because we recognize you've been compassionate to us. God, I pray that you would hear our hearts and we would be transparent with you first and foremost. It's the way to peace.